Welcome to Life Isn't Lived on a Spreadsheet with Ryan Potterack from Potterack Capital Advisory. You have unique values, objectives, fears, life experiences, and biases. Any financial professional who ignores or minimizes the importance of your story may not be able to help you achieve your ideal outcomes or hit your goals. It's time to experience the PCA difference. In this podcast, we help business executives, soon-to-be retirees, and solutions-based individuals overcome the anxiety leading up to their upcoming years. We do this by initiating in-depth discussions about the financial aspects of retirement, like tax planning and asset allocation, alongside, and often overlooked, personal and lifestyle aspects. Join us on this journey where we explore retirement from a contrarian point of view, as Ryan draws from years of expertise and guest experts to help you explore the true purpose of your money in retirement and the impact you want to make in your golden years. Now, on to the show. The word inflation gets tossed around a lot, and it is often associated with something that's bad. I'm Patrice Sikora with your host, Ryan Potterick. Now, Ryan, inflation has been around forever, and it does usually get a bad rap. But why is that, and how might inflation impact our listeners? Hey, hey Patrice. Good to see and hear you. Um, well, inflation, basically the increased cost of goods, actually, usually the statistics the government gives us is kind of this overall inflation, but in many ways it depends on the particular household. For example, I remember paying $5,000 for this super great color TV probably 15 years ago that now probably <laughs> goes for, you know, 800 bucks at, at Costco. So we have seen the price of actual technology go down um, and, and other other issues. But then when we get to healthcare and we get to, you know, college and stuff, that's that's been going crazy. But um, yeah, inflation is also typically tied to higher interest rates. Right. Higher interest rates for loans, for businesses to take business loans, higher interest and higher inflation slows down economic activity. It just flatly makes it more expensive to use financing in any way. And it also in increasing the cost of goods um, is, is going to slow down spending. Which is why the Fed has been using interest rates to bring down inflation. What's interesting is that what is what has caused the inflation, and there could there would be quite a debate around that, but yeah. all of you know flooding the zone, flooding the country with a lot of cash, you know, people do what people do when they have excess cash, frankly, is they look for ways to spend it. So there, it created this huge amount of demand for goods and services. And so, if if there's a lot of demand and and a finite supply of goods and services, no matter what that is, whether it's seats on a plane or real estate or whatever it might be, that is going to drive costs up. Right. Uh, now, also with all of that cash, all of that spending stimulates the economy. So the economy was was running, you know, pretty hot. So what's interesting that maybe some of my, our listeners don't connect these dots is by raising interest rates, the Fed is is purposely trying to slow down economic activity, hoping that they don't crash the car, <laughs> but slow down the economy, slow down the demand, because again, higher mortgage rates now in the sevens instead of the twos and the threes has slowed down housing purchases tremendously. 
So interest rates and inflation tend to uh, be highly correlated and go up and down together. And I, I think we have to maybe just mention the fact that many, many experts, quote unquote, did not think the Fed was going to be able to manage a soft landing. We don't know yet that it's going to happen. I'll say that. But they're, they could be getting close to it. Yes. Yeah. It certainly looks possible where a year ago, I don't think too many people were in the possible right. camp. So, uh, you know, and that's, that's a good thing. Like, like most things in the, in this world these days, it, get, it gets politicized, but I think we'd all want a soft landing, uh, regardless of what administration gets credit for it. True. True. Inflation though, it has been around since day one. As soon as you had something you wanted to trade or give to someone, inflation takes over. So how has it how has it changed over, let's say, the last hundred years? Are we paying more attention to it? Well, I, I, on the last point, I think with with the internet and smartphones and everything, I think everything gets paid more attention to. But if you look at over the last hundred years, as as you've positioned it, it is we've had deflation at times uh, with the depression, and so really into the, the 30s, even even into the 40s, before we really kicked in in World War II. We had deflation because economic economic activity was so, so depressed. Demand was so incredibly low. If there was going to be any transactions in business ahead, prices went down. And so so that is that is possible. I would say also, interestingly, going back just a few years in Europe, a few countries had a negative interest rate. True. So mm -hmm. we go to a bank to deposit money and, and we expect the bank to pay us interest. In some countries within the last five, seven years, if you wanted to make a deposit to a bank, you had to pay the bank interest. So it's kind of a mind bender mm -hmm. to think of that. But deflation is, you know, is possible. Also, what we've seen over the past, well, really in the last 20, 30 years, but when you have some countries that have I don't know about third world because I would put Greece into into this category and some other South American countries where you had just extreme inflation. I mean, like a hundred percent or so. The well, the higher that inflation is as a consumer, it, it it leads the consumer to say, "Well, I better spend the money today because if I don't spend it today, it's worth less tomorrow, or it buys fewer mm -hmm. goods or or a smaller amount of goods that you would want to buy." So the higher the inflation leads to, well, I don't want to hold on to money. If inflation is low, then that's where people will tend to, you know, save it for a rainy day. And, you know, again, tying into interest rates, the, the long-term objective for the Fed is 2%. Now, 2% inflation is below the long-term average of inflation. I think that might be a bit hawkish. I mean, I think if we can get it down to in the neighborhood of 3%, in a soft landing, as as you suggest, Patrice, I think that would be a victory instead of, okay, we just need to squeeze that extra 1% out and still leave as a possibility a crash landing. Right. Because nobody nobody wins from that. But we, yeah, we've seen employment really hold steady for people who are uh, wanting work. They're able to find it. Which brings me to the question of wages versus inflation. Now, I think you can make an argument for both sides. Does inflation cause higher wages or do higher wages fuel inflation? Well, the latter, I would say, is definitely the case um, if because uh, wages really go into everything, whether it's the truck truck driver 
bringing, you know, produce to the grocery store, or whatever it is, that's a part of every service, every product. So uh, um, related to that with the pandemic, which uh, again, we flooded the zone with cash, but also a lot of people kind of reassessed what work meant to them and their household. And so we had, we had workforce participation in this country decline really to record levels. And in some of those people, a lot of those people have been slow or hesitant to get back into the market. And of course, what facilitates people going to work are, are higher wages. Uh, also, the current administration is very, very pro-union. Um, and union wages typically tend to be you know, higher than non-union wages. And there's a whole lot more to, to that piece of it. But wages going up does increase the cost of manufacturing or delivering products and services. Now, higher inflation on the demand side, again, a lot of cash and people wanting to spend that cash or coming out of the pandemic, they want to go on vacations, blah, blah, blah. Well, that puts more demand on places that now need to hire workers to meet the demand, <laughs> to, to meet the supply. Uh, so, yeah, I would agree with your characterization. They they both kind of feed each other. And I don't know if it's quite the same as trying to cut your own hair where you're looking in the mirror. Oh, maybe I went quarter inch too much there. And then you oh, shoot. And trying to even it out. Uh, it's a bit like a teeter totter. Interesting. And looking at what the Fed has been doing and inflation has been coming down, the jobs reports have still remained. They've gotten cooler but they've still remained fairly strong. Without a doubt. I mean, unemployment under 4%, yeah. uh, it's always been looked at as, you know, 4% unemployment is considered full full employment because you're not, you're always going to have some people that are, that are looking for a job, even in a transition period. Uh, but yeah, the job growth has slowed. The number of new jobs created because, you know, initially it was just, turning the switch on the economy again, post pandemic, but now we're clearly in, okay, what is this economy actually creating? And it's, it started to slow, but I, considering what they've done with interest rates and how, how extreme they've raised that in a fairly short period of time, I, I think any job growth is a win. And then the unemployment percentage, just for our listeners, you know, that is a calculation that is based off who of our citizens are actively looking for work. Right, right. So it's not, you know, it doesn't, it takes out the retired people. It takes out the people that just say, you know, I'm going to just sit on the sidelines. I'm not going to actively look for work and being under 4% still is a very, very strong number historically. And you kind of touched on it after or during COVID after the, after the uh, lockdown, many people moved into the gig economy. Where do you see that going with wages? How how is is that impacting wages at all? Do you think? Well, it, uh, the whole the whole subject I find fascinating. As a young entrepreneur, as a kid, I look at at what's available to young people today. Whether it's you know I I have adult kids that go thrifting. They love the going thrifting, and then they resell it on Depop and a lot of other sites. Uh, that you couldn't do that sort of thing when when I was young, or or Uber that sort of thing. Where right. the the gig economy, I think, is amazing and now at the same time you have certain uh states and municipalities that don't like that that competition against you know for example i think it used to cost and i could be way off i think it used to cost like a half a million dollars for a 
Uh, I think they called it a medallion in New York City to, to actually have a taxi. Oh, it, it was higher than that, I can tell you. Yes. Yeah. And it, and and then, you know, Uber came in and, and other similar services completely blew up and disrupted right. um, all, all of that. And um, But that's competition that lowered prices. So one could say that there's been deflation in what it costs to get from point A to point B without your own car. Uh, but that's still shaking out um, because there's there's protection there. Government entities, city, state, federal, you know, they they put in policies that sometimes creates winners and losers. Uh, and I don't think that's really shaking it out yet. You know, I, I found it interesting. I saw this statistic maybe five or six years ago. Airbnb um, has more uh, market cap value than like Hilton and Marriott and a number of others hmm. combined, but they don't own a single room. When you think about it and it's just, it, it is, it is amazing. The, the flexibility now that we have in, with these disruptive offerings that I think for us as consumers are great, but it's so, it's so disruptive. Um, it, it's, it's hard to, to see how it's going to figure out. I know a lot of uh, cities and such say they don't want Airbnb because you know, you don't want college students coming to stay at a house in your neighborhood and just, you know, letting, letting it rip, not to any college students in our audience, uh, no, no disrespect intended, but there's just a lot more factors that go into when you really peel the, the onion in, in this subject that I find fascinating from a business standpoint. And you're right. Government in many of the bigger cities is stepping in and, uh, quashing some of the efforts on the Airbnb side. Yeah. Yeah, I remember landing in Sacramento four or five years pre-pandemic, and and they had an a, an Uber or similar rideshare could not pick me up. It was not allowed. Right. Now, and then they some of them though are are at the same time they they work for a, a limo company, so I guess ways to address it. But it's I just found that odd. Two parties that want to transact money for a ride to the hotel ought to be able to do that in a free country. It's called competition. Yeah. Oh, cer yes, certainly. Absolutely. So in your opinion, is inflation ever a good thing? I think a certain level of inflation, if it's again, highly correlated to interest rates, we prior to the last 18 months, we really went through a, a solid decade or so where you, you couldn't, if you did, if you wanted to save and invest money, and you didn't want any investment risk, you really couldn't get any return at all. Right. I mean, savings accounts and money market accounts, I mean, literally tenths of a percent. Uh, that was kind of like a stealth tax on retired people. You know, maybe, you know, my grandparents, you know, or our parents and such, whatever in retirement, they could go down to the corner bank or credit union and get five, six, seven percent on a certificate of deposit. And that would fund their their lifestyle, where for more than a decade you were served if you could find one to two percent. Um, so I think where we're at right now, um, matter of fact, with the mortgages, everybody or not everybody, but a lot of people are chirping <laughs> about seven percent mortgages. I remember, and you may too, Patrice, in the early two thousands when the mortgage rates came down to seven percent, it was party time. That's right, <laughs> because I know my parents had a fifteen percent mortgage. You know, you go back to the 
the 70s and, and, and early 80s, it might be a little bit higher than what I'd have uh, now, but having a risk-free rate of return somewhere in the three to four percent, I think is a whole lot better than zero percent inflation, zero percent interest rates. What does inflation do to uh, asset allocation when it comes to investments? Well, oftentimes real assets perform well in, during higher inflation. And by real assets, I mean home values. And that's certainly played out the last few years. Uh, in, in most communities across our country, you know, the value of real estate, you know, whether it's raw land or, or homes have gone up because they're not making any more of that. Again, supply and demand, there's only so much supply of real estate. Other real assets, you see gold and silver and commodities get a lot of attention as well. Uh, so they that can be a good hedge in a portfolio against inflation because, again, historically, inflation goes up. Assets that hold their value because their value is intrinsic, gold and silver have been mediums of exchange for thousands of years, uh, as well as oil and, and that sort of thing. That you know, We've added uh, those, we've added positions in, in those areas over the last couple of years to hedge. Now you don't want to make, in my view, you don't want to make a huge bet on that. I'm talking about, you know, maybe where it was one to 2% and upping that to maybe four five or 6% of an overall portfolio. Cause you make too big a bet on any one sector yeah. and you better, you better be feeling lucky. <laughs> well, there would be people who argue that, yeah, something like gold or silver would definitely hold its value, but that has also fluctuated. Oh, for sure. It's been a horrible investment uh, over much of the last decade. Um, but nonetheless, William Devane's still out there making a living and a lot of commercials uh, <laughs> on gold and silver, because I think I think it connects with people maybe on a I mean, we've always seen it, whether it's in jewelry or in movies. I mean, gold and silver. Um, Burl Ives, I love Christmas specials singing oh, okay. silver and gold. I love, <laughs> you know, so I think it's in the psyche that and it's marketed as somehow it's it's a low risk investment, which is not at all supported by the facts. But if you have an ounce of gold, it's still an ounce of gold a month later. So it may lose value, but it's still an ounce of gold. But it it is every bit as volatile as a stock, for example. But it is typically, Patrice, not correlated with the stock market. So diversification is not simply owning a lot of different assets. It's owning a lot of different assets that respond differently under different economic conditions, which goes right to the heart of your of your question. And so if some of your assets do very well in inflationary times, that may may even out the, the peaks and valleys. That sounds like another podcast all into itself right there. Well, Ryan, I'll, ma I'll make a note, Patrice. I'll make a note. <laughs> right. As we wrap this up, is there anything we did not mention here that you think we should? Well, I, you know, somewhat related to how you just ended that that portion. It's interesting that inflation and higher interest rates slows economic activity, but it's impossible to predict the market. And from last October, uh, twenty twenty one till now, the market has done extremely well. And I think against the headwinds of inflation, uh, and I don't think that would have been predicted mm -hmm. by by many people. I, I know I didn't, at least to the extent. So. I just, and that'll be a common thread with our, our podcast is for our listeners. Don't try and uh, your, so your uh, crystal ball doesn't work and neither does mine. So right. with that, Patrice, we'll, right. uh, we'll tie this down. 
<laughs> right. And I just to piggyback on that. Yes, there were so many people who were saying, oh, this was going to be recession time. Recession time is coming. It's coming. Hang in there. Surprise so far. Yep. So, yeah. As you say, crystal balls. Yeah. Buy those. So, folks, Ryan, I should ask first, how can listeners reach you? If they want well, to you can, this conversation. you can always go to our uh, always go to our website, uh, www.potterack.net. That's P-O-T-E-R-A-C-K dot net. Our main uh, phone number is 704-366-5776. Uh, we're out there on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter uh, right. as well. So check us out. And listeners. Don't miss any episode of Life Isn't Lived on a Spreadsheet. All you have to do is follow or subscribe to the podcast and share with friends, colleagues, and yes, family. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to Life Isn't Lived on a Spreadsheet. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. To ask questions about topics covered during the show or get a copy of Making It Count, Life Isn't Lived on a Spreadsheet by Ryan Potterack, visit www.potterack.net or give us a call at 704-366-5776. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Potterack Capital Advisory. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Potterack Capital Advisory does not offer legal or tax advice. Please consult the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstances. Nothing contained herein is to be considered a solicitation, research material, an investment recommendation, or advice of any kind. The information contained herein may contain information that is subject to change without notice. Any investments or strategies referenced herein do not take into account the investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific person. Product sustainability must be independently determined for each individual investor. Potterack Capital Advisory explicitly disclaims any responsibility for product suitability or suitability determinations related to individual investors.